Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. My name is Kate Hahn. I'm a freelance journalist in Los Angeles where I've covered everything from fashion to entertainment. I also write personal essays and humor pieces, and those have been published in Newsweek, Salon.com, The Washington Post Magazine, The LA Times Magazine, Descent, and McSweeney's. Today I'm reading a chapter from my new book, Forgotten Fashion, An Illustrated Faux History of Outrageous Trends and Their Untimely Demise. The premise of the book is that I've been given access to a dusty old secret archive containing files on forgotten fashions from across the 20th century, so it's written in the voice of an historian. Each story features a fictional fashion designer and his or her entourage and unfolds in a fairly happy way until there's a regrettable incident or unlucky moment that explains why this fashion has been doomed to obscurity. There are 28 fashions in the book, and each chapter has supposed vintage illustrations. This particular story is called Frigidaire Formals, and it is set in 1950 on the exotic island of Manhattan. Sometimes it all begins with a muse. When Gaston d'Archet first laid eyes on Caitlin Anderson, she was removing a silver tray of jello parfaits from a sparkling new 1950 Frigidaire Imperial refrigerator. Caitlin was six feet tall, with flame-red hair and skin so white that it had been alternately described by her series of minor poet boyfriends as milky, snowy, ghostly, or, by the less metaphorically inclined, pale. Her long spine gave her a slightly concave posture, which had once led her pediatrician to predict a lifetime of expensive medical treatments. But by the time 21-year-old Caitlin crossed Darche's line of vision... Her backbone had become her fortune. Caitlin was one of the few people in the world with the innate ability to hold her torso in a nearly perpetual C-curve, which at the time was considered the ultimate posture of a high-fashion model. She had been discovered by an art director and embarked on a very successful career posing for illustrated magazine advertisements. It was in this capacity that Darche, an expatriate French former fashion designer, first saw her. He had been hired to draw the ad for the 1950 Frigidaire Imperial. Caitlin had been contracted to be part of the picture. Her elegant form, swathed in a sky-blue ball gown and curved over the tray of gelatin treats, suggested that the icy confines of the refrigerator emitted breezes that could transform anyone's life into a glamorous one and give pedigree to even the most pedestrian desserts. For Darche... The scene was simply a series of colors and shapes to be put on paper, until the moment Caitlin unwound from her C-curve and stood up straight. She dominated the entire room, he wrote, and I knew what I had to do to become a fashion designer again. Go big! The Frenchman had worked in all the great Parisian fashion ateliers, but was never chosen as a formal assistant, and so had come to the U.S., bitter and angry, promising to abandon couture and become an illustrator of the hulking, monstrous machines and the lazy and wasteful women who use them. But in truth, 
He was haunted by the popularity of Christian Dior's new look of 1947 and longed to, to create a style that would have the same meteoric impact on fashion. At the sight of Caitlin, beside the modern icebox, he decided, Hope lies in hugeness. The drawing studio had the same high ceilings as the abodes of the Parisian elite, Darchet's desired customers. He knew that these French women had one goal, to be the one woman at the party at whom everyone gazed. To become their next darling, he would make dresses that would dominate these spaces like no designer before him, evening gowns on a gargantuan scale. Double doors would become triples to accommodate their entrances, and grand staircases would look like matchstick ladders beside them, he wrote. I will transform every woman into Caitlin. He convinced his model to sign a contract to pose for sketches in the studios after hours. During their sessions, he gave her playful nicknames, the glacier, the iceberg, Ma Petite Mont Blanc, all of which he wrote in a brushy stroke beside his drawings of her. It is from Darche's sketchbook that we know much about the development of the dresses, which the designer called Frigidaire Formals. Like Caitlin and the appliances, the collection was white in color and grand in scale. The foundation of each gown was a fitted bodice that emphasized a woman's hourglass silhouette. This was enhanced by design features that extended the garment's volume in all directions, a ball-gown skirt with a 20-foot circumference, translucent chiffon poet sleeves with nearly as much yardage as a parachute. Stand-up raw silk collars that reached above the ears. Satin trains so long they practically required a caboose. In the drawings, Caitlin stands not in her popular C-curve, but regally upright. She is particularly fetching in earlier designs, such as Le Bois de Glace, the icebox, a dress and cape combination that reveals the impact of appliances on Darche's work. The floor-length porcine cape clasps at the neck with a silver lever modeled after a frigidaire door handle. Beneath it is a ball gown, the warm ivory moiré silk glowing like the light from inside a refrigerator. Caitlin smiles slyly at the artist, one hand touched to the cape's upturned collar. But the gigantic scale of the gowns relied on more than generous swaths of fabric modeled by a statuesque goddess. For all the drawing and fitting sessions, the glacier wore five-inch pumps. Sketches show that Darche began with three-inch shields and modified them to increase the height. He gave much thought to the engineering, reinforcing the shoes with a steel shank so they would not snap and send his muse tumbling. One might assume that this footwear was the cause of the pinched look that began to appear on Caitlin's face one-third of the way through the sketchbook, but one would be wrong. After many weeks of the board-like posture, Caitlin was having difficulty forming her trademark C-curve. She grew tired during daytime sessions, but instead of expressing it in a slump, stood up straight. Art directors complained. One can find fewer representations of her russet-haired presence in magazine advertisements from this period, and it can be assumed Caitlin was probably suffering financially as a result. But she was trapped in her contract with Darchet and in his dresses, which just got bigger and bigger. In the sketch for Le Gaz, which drew its name and shape from the white-hot flame flickering from gas stove burners, her face is nearly lost amid a flurry of ostrich feathers built up around her as if she is the center of a blaze. 
Even in Darche's stylized hand, one notices her visage sports a scowl, and her pale skin is slightly pink. The final straw was La Lave, a dress within a dress, clearly inspired by the era's top-loading dishwashers, in which cups and plates were placed in a cylindrical wire basket and submerged in a tube beneath the kitchen counter. The innermost gown was a tightly fitted sheath, made of fabric Darche designed himself, white silk embroidered in silver thread that formed an abstract pattern suggesting the wire cage. Over this was a layer of suds-inspired translucent chiffon. This was topped by a porcelain-white evening coat in a tubular shape which appeared to transform Caitlin into a Doric column. Around the figure of Caitlin, Darche has limbed the Parthenon, complete with the row of massive white columns lining its facade. Caitlin, in the dress, becomes one of them. Her face atop it is like that of an angry goddess. It is the last dress in the portfolio of the Frigidaire Formal Collection. Tucked behind it is half of a torn contract, the one Darche had with Caitlin. It is obvious the designer could not go on without his muse. If his dresses were ever actually produced, there is no record of them. His Frigidaire Formals drifted into oblivion, as did he. But it was not his mammoth and towering creations that could have made his fortune. It was what lay beneath them. In 1952, the term stiletto was coined to describe the high-heeled shoe with a spiky heel bolstered by a metal shank. Its popularity was attributed mainly to Roger Vivier, who worked for the designer Darche had so envied, Christian Dior. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.